I believe the Lord is, is, is going to help us. Amen. Before I begin, how many know, you know, the Bible, we, we quote it, we shout about it. He that the Son has set free is free indeed. It's free indeed. Amen. How many want to walk in freedom? How many want to walk in liberty? Wherewith Christ hath made us free. Amen. And so, uh, but there is, there, how many also understand that walking in freedom and that liberty that God has promised us, uh, that's not all God's responsibility. I mean, no, there's, we have some responsibility as well. So I want to help us tonight. I, I hope to just be very practical. I just want to help, help us uh, give us a certain tool uh, that we can use in order to uh, maintain a life of freedom and liberty that God has uh, provided for us. And so uh, as we begin this evening, we understand that the Bible is very clear when it instructs us that we are to fight against some things, not one another, <laughs> but some things. Paul would write to Timothy these words in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Fight, Timothy, a good fight of faith. And Paul did not just encourage Timothy and others to fight, but Paul would say this about himself towards the end of his life. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, he said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. How many know in order to keep the faith, you got to fight some fights? You're not going to be able to keep your faith if you don't fight some things. And so we understand that uh, the reward for maintaining, the reward for prevailing in his personal fight uh, was this, because Paul tells us, I fought a good fight, I finished my course, I've kept the faith. And the reward of that, the reward of fighting that fight of faith, he goes on in the very next verse, henceforth, or because I fought that fight, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Somebody said amen. And so we here see very plainly this, uh, the great reward that we are going to receive now in this life, but not just in this life, but in the life to come, that we're going to receive by willing, being willing to fight as the Scripture instructs us to do so. The Bible would speak further of this fighting that we are to do when it says this in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle, fight not against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle or we do fight against some stuff. It's against the principalities and powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And we've taught from this verses, these verses before that we need to understand the wiles. The wiles of the devil there is speaking of the lies. Everybody say the lies the lies of the enemy, and therefore we are being instructed to fight against every lie that every principality, every power, every ruler, every spiritual opposition would send against us. We are to fight against that lie in order to put our minds and our thoughts into subjection to the word of the Lord. Amen? And so how many know that many times it is an absolute fight to subject your thoughts to the word of the Lord? Come on, somebody. 
How many know it's not always easy to subject your thoughts to the word of the Lord? You got to wrestle them. You got to fight them. You got to fight that thought. And you got to fight it sometimes multiple days in a row, multiple hours in a row. Right? You got to fight that thought in order to submit it to the word of the Lord and subject it to the word of the Lord. So we fight. We fight. The book of Jude would instruct us in this manner. Jude chapter 1 and verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend or fight for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. I mean, no, we got to fight for this truth. We don't fight and argue. We don't argue with people, but we defend. We fight for this truth, this great apostolic message that has been delivered to the saints. And so we understand from these verses and many, many more like them that the Bible is very clear about you and I having a sense of a fight within us. When it comes to our walk with God, when it comes to our spirituality, we are to have a fight within us. We are to fight the good fight of faith. We are to fight against every lie of the enemy. We are to fight for this precious apostolic doctrine and this precious apostolic message. If we're going to make it, if we're going to succeed in our relationship with God, if we're going to get to heaven one day, if we're going to take others to heaven with us, it's only going to be because we become willing to fight in those certain arenas that God has called us to fight in. Amen? Amen. And yet, yet, there are some contexts and there are some arenas that you and I will live in and operate in that this book instructs us to not fight, but to simply run away. Sometimes the best way to live an overcoming life is to not fight at all, but to flee. So turn to your neighbor and tell him my title of my message, you don't need to fight. Tell him, you don't need to fight, you need to flee. Tell somebody else, you don't need to fight, fight. you need to flee. Mm-hmm. And so it is my assignment this evening to show scripturally, biblically, the things that we were never meant to fight against. But rather, we are called to flee from them. I turn your attention to the first one that I feel to discuss. Probably only have time. The ones I could see was about three. We probably only have time to discuss two. But I turn your attention to the first one that I feel to discuss. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God. Ye are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That word fornication, flee fornication. That word fornication is in, in which we are instructed to flee from is the Greek word pornia from which we get our English word pornography. But this word is not just speaking of pornography, pornographic material that can be viewed, but it is speaking of all sexual 
sin. All sexual sin that mankind could ever involve themselves in. Pornography, adultery, premarital sex, homosexuality, lesbianism, bestiality, on and on and on. Any type of sexual sin could be encapsulated within this word fornication. And the Bible instructs us to flee from those types of things. Somebody said amen. Don't entertain it. Flee from it. Don't, it allow, don't allow it to hang around you. Flee from it. Don't keep thinking about it. Flee from it. The wisest man that ever lived would give you and I this advice. Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 3. For the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. Now, the metaphor here being spoken would, would describe the lie, the lie of all sexual sin. I know it here describes a woman, but it is really just describing and showing metaphorically all sexual sin in that its outward appearance is always pleasing to the eye. Right? But the outcome of giving in to that temptation, that which is pleasing to the eye, the outcome of giving in to that is this, the next verse, verse 4, Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 4. But her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell. Lest thou shouldest ponder the path of life, her ways are movable, that thou canst not know them. Then he says, verse 7, hear me therefore, hear. And I looked up that word hear and it means to intelligently listen. To hear not just with your ears, but also with your mind. In other words, he's saying, listen, and I want you to really think about what I'm about to tell you. Oh, ye children. And he says, and do not depart from what I'm about to tell you. Don't depart from the words of my mouth. So he's already told us that this temptation is going to be something that is pleasing to our eyes. And he's told us that the outcome of it is going to bring, be that which has the potential, the high potential of bringing us down to hell. Now he's telling us, listen very carefully. Listen very clearly and think very hard about what I'm about to tell you because I'm about to tell you how you can escape all of that potential transgressions and all of that potential failure. Listen, listen, he says. Verse 8, remove thy way far from her. Get out of there. Flee. Don't even come nigh to the door of her house. Remove thy way. That phrase means to withdraw thyself and to widen the distance between you and some other thing. Remove thy way. Widen the distance. Flee. Widen the distance between you and some other thing. And what struck me was that a part of that definition said to withdraw thyself 
in any direction. <laughs> Just as long as it's away from that which can harm you. It don't matter where you go. Don't put any thought to where you're going as long as it's away from that. That's how serious it is. Don't matter which way you flee, just make sure you flee. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Now, please don't pigeonhole what I'm saying and say, I mean, he's just preaching to the guys right now because I'm not. I told you this was just a metaphor for all sexual sin. Guys and gals struggle with these things. And the word of the Lord is instructing us on what we need to do and how we can live an overcoming life. Because that's the will of God, to live overcoming. Doesn't matter which direction you take. Just as long as you widen the distance between you and that thing that can harm you. Now hear me, there are, there are some... There are some who, who think it to be a mark of spiritual maturity that they can get close to those type of things and not fall. Look at how strong spiritually I am. I can get close to those things and yet I still maintain my purity and I still maintain my holiness and my righteousness. And I, I didn't fall and I didn't sin and I didn't give in to the temptation. I had the opportunity, but I didn't do it. But the wisest man that ever lived didn't say to just get close to that which could tempt you to fail. But he said, don't even get close to the doorway of the house. I know we've talked about this before, but it needs to be repeated. There was nothing wrong with the door. There was nothing sinful about the door. The thing that was wrong was behind the door. But he said, don't even get close to the doorway of the thing that could lead you. Ah, there's nothing wrong with the doorway. But don't even get close to it if you know it can lead you to that thing that will pull you down and destroy you, tempt you to fail and fall and falter. Some people erroneously believe that it proves their spiritual strength when they allow themselves the potential for sinning but restrain themselves. The reality could not be further from the truth. For to keep themselves close to those types of things merely shows their disobedience to the word of the Lord. Because he said, don't even get close to the door. Not just the thing, but the door to the thing. And I guarantee you, as much as I'm standing here right now, I guarantee you that it'll only be a matter of time until that which they have allowed to hang around and that which they have refused to flee from is going to eventually pull them down, make them fall. It may not be next week, it may not be next month, but I guarantee you, if you stay close enough to those things, if you keep those things around, if you hang around those things, it's eventually going to pull you down. It's eventually, you're going to have a moment of weakness. You're going to have a bad day. 
And if you have an access through a door to something like that, on those days, you're more than likely going to open the door. Oh, hallelujah. But if you're far away from the door, you can have a bad day and not have access. Come on, somebody. Am I helping anybody right now? Bible would prove it like this, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Lest he fall. People that believe themselves to be strong enough, people that believe themselves to be spiritual enough, godly enough to not fail, to not fall, they're going to be the exact people who are going to fall. So yes, hear me now. We need to rejoice in the truth of 1 John 4 and 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That is absolutely true. Greater is he that is within you and I than he that is in the world and all of the world. Of which the sin and the temptation that we're talking about is a part of the world. So we understand that greater is he that is within me than he that is in the world. But we also need to remember the very same epistle that tells us that tells us this, 1 John 5, 21, the next chapter. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Don't even get close to those things of the world. Don't even get close to the things that could pull you away. But I thought you just got done telling me that greater is he that's within me than he that's within the world. Yes, I did. But you still need to flee from some stuff. You still need to get away from some stuff. You still need to not be so close to some things. You got to remove yourself from some things because even though the Holy Ghost within you is greater than the things of the world, you don't always act in the Holy Ghost. Sometimes we act in the flesh. And in those moments of acting in the flesh, if we're next to a doorway that can lead us somewhere, it's going to be very easy to just open it. That's why you got to get away from it. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody said amen. Somebody told me this. I might have said this before. Somebody told me this a long time ago, and I've, I've tried to remember it. The, the, the saying is this, the greatest battle is after the battle. The greatest battle is after the battle. Many times in my own life, and many times in the lives of people that I've pastored through the years, I've seen failures come into our lives immediately after we have experienced tremendous Spiritual victories. You go into battle, you gear up for it, you pray, you fast, you seek God, you've got faith, man, you charge, you do this battle, you go to war, you pray, you intercede, you get the victory. Spiritual breakthrough happens, spiritual blessing happens. And then it seems like, why is it that just a day or two later, 
we fail. You would think that, that would be the, just the opposite. You would think we would be flying so high spiritually that nothing could touch us, right? But the greatest battle is after the battle because the problem is that many times after great spiritual breakthroughs and spiritual blessings, we feel spiritually invincible. Oh, hallelujah. We think we can stand on our own. Man, well, I just, did you see what just happened? Man, we just came through that. We just got the victory over that. We just had that breakthrough. We just had this, that, and the other man. Victorious, strong. And because we think ourselves to be strong, we end up failing because we are not as spiritually diligent as we should have been. In the battle, we're praying every day. In the battle, we're fleeing from everything. In the battle, we're taking every thought under subjection. In the battle, we're doing after all of that. But the greatest battle comes after the battle because now the battle is won and it's over. Victory has come. Deliverance has come. Blessing has come. And now all of a sudden, we don't feel like we need to be as diligent spiritually as we have been because after all, we are victorious. And we don't flee from stuff we should flee from. And because we hang around it, it pulls us down. Oh, hallelujah. Look how the text continues. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above what you are able. Now watch. But will with the temptation also make a way for you to get out of there. To make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Now notice, the avenue God has established for you and I to deal with temptation is to not fight against it. He didn't say, there's this temptation, it's not anything that no one else has fought and come up against and I give you strength and power, you're going to fight against it and war against it and you're going to be victorious over it. That's not what he says. No, 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 he says you're going to get into this temptation and you're going to get into this struggle and I'm going to open a door and I want you to flee. I'm going to give you an exit strategy and you better run through it as fast as you can. And that is how we remain victorious. Oh, hallelujah. Not by standing in there and saying, I'm going to fight this thing. I'm going to fight this thing. I'm going to fight this temptation. We're going to go toe to toe. No. You are not fighting it biblically. You will not be victorious. You can be victorious for two days. You might even be victorious for a week or two. But you will not remain victorious. The way you remain victorious is say, where's the door? Thank you. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. And God is faithful, he says, 
to provide the escape every single time. Every single time. Now, you know as well as I, sometimes in those moments, you see the escape and we don't take it. But it's not because the escape was not offered. It is offered. He is just. He is faithful every single time to give us a way of escape. That's where it is up to you and I if we want to live free and in liberty, we must take the opportunity of escape and flee. We cannot say that we're going to overcome this. We cannot say, now there's nothing I can't conquer. We cannot, you know, we got to take the escape. And we cannot say that we are powerless against this thing. Somebody needs to hear me right now. Because the enemy has lied to somebody in the room and told you because of your multiple failures over and over and over, he's convinced you that you cannot overcome it. He's convinced you that you cannot be an overcomer. Well, there's just something wrong with me. There's just something about me. I just can't seem to overcome this thing. No, 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 no. To say that is to say that God is a liar. And he's not a liar. To say that is to say that God is not giving you a way of escape. Right? And if he said he's going to give you a way of escape, that he's faithful to give you a way of escape, then he is giving you a way of escape, and he is giving me a way of escape. If we are continually failing in an area, it's because we are not taking the way of escape. It's not because we're powerless against it. It's not because the devil's so powerful in our lives and he's controlling us and making us do what he wants us to do if we've got the Holy Ghost. No, it's because we are not taking the way of escape. Anybody believe that? So God is faithful, but he's not going to push us through the door. God is faithful for the escape route, but he's not going to kick us out of the door. We have to flee. Nobody else can flee for us. Nobody else can flee for you. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. You see, I was going to bring it down, get a little practical now, but that's why we encourage everyone, and we talk about it from time to time, probably should talk about it more, but that's why we encourage everyone to make sure that you have a really good filter on your computers, your tablets, your phones. Now let me just say this. If you just put a filter on your computer so you can tell people you got a filter, but you don't have anything on your iPad and your phone, what's the point? Or if you get a filter that you know doesn't work, what's the point? Or if you know a way around the filter, and you keep the filter, what's the point? It's almost like you know, I just want people to know I got a filter. So on those bad days, when I'm weak, and I want an escape, I know what to do. But I want everybody to think I got a filter. It's quiet right now. 
I tell people all the time, I got a filter on everything I have. And some people may think that that shows spiritual weakness on my part. I would say that shows spiritual strength on my part. The reality is that a filter keeps me away from the door. That could lead me down a path of temptation. Oh, hallelujah. So if, if the, the filter I have that I would recommend is called covenant eyes. You want to write that down if you don't have one, if yours is not very good. Covenant eyes. See, let, let's, just, let's just talk filters here for a minute. The problem with a lot of filters is they filter your internet uh, provider. Safari or Google or whatever it is. That's all they filter. Whatever you're doing online through your internet. But with all of our phones, how many know you got 557 apps that you don't have to pull up Safari to get on the app? And how many know there's some apps that you can do just about everything, see just about everything you want to see? So a filter does not touch none of those things. Right? So covenant eyes, what's good about covenant eyes is that every, I think it's 10 seconds or something like that, it snaps a screenshot of whatever's on your screen whether you're on Safari or an app or whatever, it doesn't matter what you're on, what, what you're using, whatever it is. It snaps a screenshot of your screen, and I don't know how it does it, but it analyzes it. And then if it shows, if it analyzes something that they say is not appropriate, then you've got it set up with an accountability partner. It doesn't just block you. It does block, but it doesn't just block you. It then sends a report to your accountability partner. Look at what they've been watching. Guess who my accountability partner is? Now, it don't have to be your wife or your spouse. You can get a brother in the Lord, a sister in the Lord, whatever. Somebody you trust, like really trust. Okay? Somebody you've known for a while and they've proven themselves to be faithful and trustworthy and that love you, care about you. Okay, don't you don't want to be quick in, in the accountability deciding. <laughs> you want to know some you want to know that you can trust them. That they're not gonna go blabbing a bunch of stuff. They're not gonna get mad at you and say, I know some stuff about you, bud. Okay, all right. So I would highly encourage, highly encourage everybody in the house to get a filter on everything. Why? Staying away from the door. That's what it practically looks like in real life. We can shout about it and say we agree with it all day long, but are we going to do it? That's what it pra practically looks like. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, again, flee fornication. 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee fornication. But 1 Corinthians 6 and 20 says, 
for you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Please notice with me that it does not say that we glorify God when we surround ourselves with the ability to involve ourselves in sexual, sexual sin, but don't actually do it. That doesn't please God at all. We got close. We could have. But bless God, we didn't. We surrounded ourselves with all of this, but we were so strong spiritually that we didn't involve ourselves in it. Man, that must have really glorified God. No, it didn't. We glorify God when we run as far and as fast as we possibly can from the thing. That's when we glorify God. Oh, hallelujah. Am I teaching all right tonight? It does not honor God when we fight against those things. It honors God when we flee from those things. Hallelujah. Let me take, quickly take you to the next thing we're to flee from. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14. Similar but slightly different. 1 Corinthians 10, 14. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Now, in order to truly understand what Paul was instructing here, we need to understand what these Christians at Corinth were dealing with and what they were going through. You have to understand that how important idol worship was to the pagans during this time. Obviously not the Christians. We're talking about the pagans now. It was so important to the pagans of that day, idol worship. People were intoxicated with the worship of their gods and goddesses. Pagan temples were built in vast numbers all over the cities. Everywhere in the cities there was these temples and idol worship permeated the entire city. Now for believers, your brothers, my brothers and sisters in the Lord at this time, it was unavoidable to live in that world. I'm reminded as I'm even speaking of this, when I went to India, there was these temples and little shrines to all their different, you know, millions of gods. And I mean, it was almost like every 10 feet you would see one. It was, it was impossible to avoid it. Going to a restaurant, going to the market, I mean, it was, you were bombarded with it. It was impossible to avoid it. They, they would walk by these idols. They, these idols were in homes and on the streets and key locations throughout all of the city. These environments were spiritually dangerous. Now, some of the things they could not escape, they walked by them. But Paul was saying, yeah, there's, there's some of those things, some of those places you can get into, and we're going to explain this in a moment, that he said, I want you to flee from. Because the temples that they would go into, it was very, it was a challenge. I didn't, I didn't know this until I was studying this out. It was a challenge for the church at Corinth and the believers in the New Test in this New Testament times, because the best, hear me, the best meat in the town was sold on the temple grounds. Not the temple of the Lord the pagan temples. Because what would happen is this meat 
would be offered as a burnt sacrifice to their whatever idol, to their God. And after it was offered up, the temple workers would remove it from the altar and they would place it on the temple meat market where it was sold to the public. And the offerings that they would give to their gods, they wanted to offer the best portions of the meat. And so these were the best cows, the best portions, the best, the best cuts. And so they would take it and then offer it for a moment or two, whatever, and then they would put it over on the market side of the temple and the public would go and they would buy the meat. So to purchase the best meat in the town for your family, one had to physically go into a pagan temple and look over the meat selection. Now, as a result of this exposure, you got to remember, these Christians at Corinth had been brought out of that pagan worship. Are you following me? They had been delivered out of that pagan worship. They'd been filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in the name, been delivered, been set free, but they got to eat. They got to buy their groceries for their family. And the only place to buy the best cuts of meat was in the temple that they had already been delivered from. And so many of them, or some of them, obviously, because Paul has to deal with it, as they're going back into the temple to do their grocery shopping, those old feelings came back. And those old temptations came back. And being surrounded by those things that was once so familiar to them began to pull them back in to its darkness. Paul knew, Paul knew and he understood that being physically close to those spiritually dark environments was too much of a risk for these new believers. So he urges them, stay away from the idols. Stay away from those sites. Lest you fall back under that demonic control and entangle yourself again. That's why he writes, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. That's what he was talking about. That's why he was talking too. That's the context of why he had to say this in the first place. That word flee in this verse is the Greek word phoigate, which means to run as fast as you can, to take flight if you could. The tense Paul used for that word conveys to those that would read it there in Corinth, that you are to constantly flee from idolatry with no exceptions. That's the tense of the word that he uses. Not just flee from it some days, but every day. Am I helping anybody right now? Not just flee from it on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays, but flee from it every day. Every day with no exceptions. I mean, know sometimes we give ourselves license to do things. We make exceptions, we justify it. Well, a little of this, little of that, I'll indulge a little of this, it's okay, I know when to stop. And he said, no, 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 you flee from that. And the tense is every day with no exceptions. No exceptions. He was emphatically stating that idolatry should never be tolerated under any circumstances, not then, not now, not ever. 
Don't ever go back to the things that once held you down. Don't ever get close again to those things that at one point caused the darkness and the hurt and the pain and the suffering of sin in your life. I feel the Holy Ghost helping me now. Those environments are too detrimental for a believer. You've been delivered from those things. Let me even say it. You've been delivered from those people. You've been delivered from those types of people. Don't go back to that, he says. He was talking about temples and pagan gods and all that kind of stuff. And I understand that context is maybe not necessarily what you and I are dealing with, but you understand the principles the same. Don't go back to those things that used to hold you. Don't go back to those things that used to bind you. Don't go back to those same kind of people that used to pull you down. Don't, don't surround yourself with those kind of people, those kind of environments, because it's too detrimental for you. You think, oh, I'm strong. I'm strong. I got the Holy Ghost. I got the power of God within me. I can handle it. I can handle it. And he says, no, 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 no. Don't even go there. Don't even get close to it. In fact, flee from it. If you could fly, fly from it, he says. Fly, run, flee as far and as fast as you possibly can. From the things, hear me, that have the slightest bit of potential of pulling you back. The book would say it like this, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 20, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and the Savior Jesus Christ if they are again entangled therein and they are overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. You see what I'm talking about? He's saying, listen, it would have been better if you had not been saved at all than for you to have been saved, delivered, set free, brought out of all of that and then cozied yourself back up to it and allowed it to pull you back in and entangle you back in. He said it's going to be far worse for that individual than for the individual that's just not saved at all. Oh, hallelujah. So we see there's real danger, real danger in returning back to the sins and the bondage that once controlled us. Therefore, the only way we have scripturally to keep ourselves from that, from going back, is to not fight it. I'm just going to fight against everything that's pulling me back. Don't fight it. Flee. Run. Run. Now here's the thing. Is everybody good tonight? Here's the thing. How many know those Christians probably wanted the best meat? Why wouldn't they? They wanted a nice T-bone. Wanted some ribs. Whatever it is. You know, they're having a cookout. They wanted the best. They wanted the best meat, just like everybody else did. But they hear me in the Holy Ghost. They understood that the inconvenience 
they experienced by fleeing from those places far outweighed the potential of those places pulling them back. Yeah, we don't get the best meat. We don't get the best T-bone. We got a, my mom used to have a thing that she'd pound the, whatever it is. Just to make it, you know. We got to do that just to make it edible. Everybody else is getting the tender meat, the filet mignon. We got the, what is it, chuck roast or whatever, I don't know. That's what we get. But guess what? It's worth it. It's worth it. Because I know if I'd step back, foot back into that place, those feelings would come back. And those temptations would be there. And that pull from a dark world would begin to grasp a hold of my heart and begin to tug. So I'll just be happy with my chuck roast. And I'll flee. Come on, somebody. So yes, now hear me. Yes, it may be inconvenient. And it may be uncomfortable. To make those changes in your life. But it's worth it. It may be inconvenient or uncomfortable to part ways with certain people. But it's worth it. It may be inconvenient to take the long way home. So you don't have to pass certain establishments that used to destroy you. Uh, you, you've amened all those. Let's see if you can amen this one. It may be inconvenient or uncomfortable to delete certain social media accounts that always seem to pull you in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. You amen it, but can you do it? I'm not saying there's anything inherently wrong with some stuff. I'm just saying if some things control you or if some things are the doorway that lead you to think certain thoughts, do certain things, feel certain ways that are contrary to the word of God and the will of God for your life, will you become willing to delete those things or are they such a part of our lives that we feel like we have to have them. It is absolutely essential that I have this in my life. I've got to have it for work. I've got to have it for school. I've got to have it for my family. It is absolutely essential. I don't know how people lived for the last thousands and thousands of years without it. Somehow, somehow they figured out a way. But isn't that what the enemy tells us? You gotta have it for this, and you gotta have it for that, and 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 I don't I, I wouldn't know how to get in touch with this person or how to contact that person or how to do this that or the other. So I have to have it, and the thing you feel like you have to have is also the door that on your moments of weakness leads you down paths you don't want to go, and you fail and you falter and you mess up and you gotta repent for it. 
And you keep repenting and repenting and repenting because you keep failing. And the problem is not that you can't overcome it. The problem is that you are camped by the door. The door just happens to be an app on your phone. Oh, hallelujah. Now, I've heard people tell me, well, you know, I, I mean, all of my kids, you know, birthday invitations. They don't send out birthday invitations like they used to in the mail. It's now all done social media, and so my kids are never going to get invited to anything. Who cares? I got kids. I want them to go to parties. But is it worth camping at a door that leads you? What do you think's, what do you think's better, a dad and a mom that are pure and holy or kids that get to go to a birthday party a couple times a year? What do you think is better for the kid? What's better for the kid? Oh, man, it's quiet right now. Ooh, it used to be you talk about money and it got quiet. Now you talk about social media and it gets quiet. I'm feeling a 12-part series coming on. You all better start talking or... <laughs> I'm joking. <clears throat> I get it. I get it. But, you know, we're, we're going to miss out on pictures and family and friends. And, you know, we, that's, that's the only way we get to see grandkids or nephews or nieces. I get it. But I'm, my point is, if that's the thing that's bringing you low, Paul is saying, don't go back to it. You've been delivered from it. Don't go back to it. Flee from it. And yet we just got it right here, just the click of a thumb, click of a button, and it's boom. And the door is there. And you say, and here's what we say. Again, we justify ourselves. We say, you know, we go months. I go months and never have any issues with it. So it's not really that big a deal because I can go months and not have any issues with it until you have a bad day, a real bad day, until you get real weak. And then what happens? You're alone, whatever. So we justify ourselves and we make ourselves think it's okay. What are you doing? You're saying, I can fight this. I can fight this. Because I could go months. I can go months with not having any failures on this because of this app or because of this whatever. So I, I can keep this in my hand and do what's right and not fail. What are you doing? I'm fighting this. And the Lord said, no, no, no. That's not what you're supposed to do. If you want to be victorious, don't fight it. Flee from it. Flee from it. And yeah, you're going to miss some pictures, and yeah, you're going to miss some parties. But guess what? You get to go to heaven. You get to miss hell. Now listen, I'm not saying if you got Instagram, you're going to hell. I think you understand what I'm talking about. I'm saying if these things are pulling you down, if these things are causing you to fail, then get rid of it. And yes, it's uncomfortable. And yes, it's inconvenient. I get it. For you, it's inconvenient. But this is what Paul was saying. Yeah, you don't get the best meat. Who cares? You're going to live. Eat rice. It's better to go to heaven eating rice. My point is, is we build things up in our mind that we've got to have them. 
and they're essential. When the reality is that's a lie from the enemy that we are believing that is telling us it's essential. It's not essential. We're believing a lie that's telling us it's essential. So we keep it, and what do we say? I know it hurts me. I know, I know it caused me to be fail, but it's essential, so I'm just going to fight it. I'm just going to fight it. I'm just going to fight it. And the Lord says, no, no, no. Flee. 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 But I just don't know. I just don't know. And I'm almost done. I'm almost done. I just don't know if I can get it up. I just don't know if I can give it up. I just don't know if I can delete it. I just don't know if I can cut myself off from that individual, from that environment, from that place, from whatever. Jesus so powerfully and graphically would describe it like this. Mark chapter 4 and verse 43. If thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life, speaking of heaven, maimed, than having two hands go to hell. Into the fire that shall never be quenched. It's better to eat rice than to eat meat and go to hell. Where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Verse 45, and if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It's better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet be cast into hell. Into the fire that never shall be quenched. Where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Verse 47, and if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It's better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes be cast into hell fire. Now, a couple of points on this and then we'll be done. But here's the first thing you have to consider. Standing before the Lord in judgment with these being the words of Jesus, it's going to be very difficult to say, I couldn't delete Facebook. I know it was what kept pulling me back. I know it was, you know, when I got a moment of weakness or mad at my spouse, it was the little text to the ex. Come on, somebody. Let's get real now. I know that was the thing that kind of led to this and the emotional affair and then the whatever affair. But I just couldn't delete it. And you're going to stand before the one who said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. I don't think he's going to. Um, <laughs> he's not going to have much compassion. Now, I don't know, Brother Ron. I, I really don't. I don't. Maybe he was saying physically pluck it out, cut it off. Maybe he was. But here's what I do know. I do know he's telling us that there is no lengths we could ever go that would be too great if it keeps us far away from the thing that could destroy us. I do know that's what he's saying. Oh, hallelujah. You say, well, you know, these things that I just feel like I have to have and whatever, these are the things, these people in my life that I just have to be around that are pulling me down, that are destroying me, that are hindering me. The Lord's saying, listen, cut them away. Cut them away. Flee from them. Flee from them. Run from them. As fast and as far as you possibly can, get away from them so that you are not entangled again with the things of this world. How many want to live free? Come on, how many want to walk in liberty every day? 
It's not the will of God. I'm done. But it's not the will of God for us to just rejoice about walking in liberty for two weeks. Some people, some people think it's so great that they can walk in liberty for two weeks. Man, I made it two weeks. No, that's not the, that's, I'm great for two weeks, but it's not the will of God just to be two weeks. We're to live in liberty. We are to walk in freedom. But the only reason why two weeks is so great is because in some way, some way, somewhere in their life, they're close to a door. They're close to a door. And when the moment's right, the opportunity presents itself. They're so close to it that they can just partake of it. And it pleases the flesh, and it pleases the eye, and it gives them momentary satisfaction, that connection with the individual or that whatever. But then the guilt comes, and the shame comes, and the condemnation comes. And then if we allow ourselves, we make it back to an altar of repentance, and we repent, and we're sorrowful, and God forgives us. But it's not the will of God for that to just last another week or two. It's the will of God for us to live in liberty, to live in freedom. And the Lord is telling us what we need to do. Don't fight it. Flee from it. Whatever, whatever that looks like for you. And the context is going to be different for everybody in the room based upon what it is that you struggle with. But whatever it is, flee from it. So what does it look like? What does it look like for you to flee from the thing? that is trying to entangle you again. Let's stand. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Can we lift up our hands and just thank the Lord for his word tonight? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus.